1: Right now and fast, and after the bell, earnings parade, Starbucks, AMD, Caesars, Pinterest, and more. The numbers, the conference calls, and the instant analysis straight ahead. Plus, bond bonanza. The Treasury Department set to flood the market with close to a trillion dollars in new debt over just the next few months. What impact will this have on yields? And later, charting Caterpillar's bulldozing day higher, Hoover's U-turn after a few market surge. And the options action on a uranium stock that has posted glowing returns this year, (laughs) but never ends here. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ Market Site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with an action-packed night of earnings. AMD, Starbucks, interest, Caesars, all out with results in just the past hour. Shares are all on the move here. We've got the A-team of reporters ready to dive into the numbers for us. Contessa Brewer, Julia Borson, Kate Rogers, all on deck. We get right to Christina Parts to dig into AMD. The conference call is just kicking off. Christina.
2: Well, AMD shares are higher heading into the earnings call. We'll be looking for more clarity on two factors. Data center revenue is going forward and progress made on AMD's AI chip. Today's report shows us that data center revenue was mostly in line and its client business, which includes PC processors, sales actually came in higher than estimated. So it's a very similar narrative to what we saw from Intel's earnings report just last week. Heading into Q3 this current quarter, the company expects those two segments, data center and client, to each grow double digit percentages, but they didn't actually provide any numbers in the report. And that's gonna offset some gaming weakness. And this comes even though IT budgets have been prioritizing AI chips over traditional servers. So overall, that's good news for the stock, contributing to the little bump that we're seeing right now, as well as the earnings beat, of course. Course. Lastly, AI will, of course, be a theme on the call given AMD's AI chip, which comes out in Q4. But keep in mind, it is only testing next quarter, Q3. It's coming out in Q4, so we shouldn't expect a steady flow of revenue until early next year. No,
1: Christina, when, when they say that their customers had seven times the number of engagements for AI, what exactly does engagement mean?
2: Engagements means it doesn't necessarily translate to orders. That was in the report, okay. uh, and that's an excellent question, but it does not necessarily translate. They have hard orders from Amazon as well as Microsoft for that new AI chip, and they've said that they've engaged with a bunch of other companies, but that still hasn't translated into sales just
1: yet. All right. Christina, thank you. Keep us posted on AMD. Christina Parts Nevelis. Huh. Mm. Engagements don't necessarily translate into revenues. Uh, Interesting. I thought you were
3: going to say Weddings. <laughs> I
4: don't <know. laughs> that true. That's You got to experience experience that? That.
3: No.
5: Uh, <laughs> i would hesitate. Yeah, so. I
3: don't. <laughs> and.
5: So this a year ago it was $92 stock. Just stay with me for a second. It's trading $123 now. Revenue was down 18% year over year. Revenue down 18%. Margins were 30% a year ago. Operating margins, by the way, 19.9% this quarter. Now, everything Christina said is fine. I mean, the quarter was fine unremarkable by their standards. Mm. The stock action is extraordinary. Again, I mean, it goes to show AI is everything right now, because on, if you were just look at this at its core, I don't know why the stock is significantly higher, given the run that the stock has had. I mean, it's fine. But again, valuations come into play. And look at where the stock was a year ago, look at it now, and look at the year-over-year year comps. Interesting.
1: I thought, based on what they were saying about data center, that maybe we would see a little bit of impact on Intel, but we haven't so far. Of course, Intel's still riding high on its report. Yeah,
6: and, and they, they, they opened down, right? Mm-hmm. So at first, these numbers weren't largely right. ex- impressive until they started uh, sprinkling in that AI stuff. We call that, I guess, pixie dust. We've coined that on this desk. But but if you if you look at the hyperscalers, if you look at Microsoft, if you look at Google and their spend and what they're targeting to be their spend in the second half of the year, um, at, that's part of what's taken the stock higher. And if you think where they're going to be uh, in terms of AI server share somewhere in the next few years, even cutting into NVIDIA. This is where they're getting pulled up by NVIDIA, whether they deserve it or not. So agree with Guy on on the margin here. And if you look at the sales and if you look at the multiple, um, I will say that semiconductors overall as a group had an excellent July and came right back to this place on the charts where relative to the S&P, um, they're challenging for a breakout while the rest of the market gets there, too. Yeah, Dan. It's interesting when you look at
7: the revenue guidance, um, the midpoint is below what consensus was. And if you look at like consensus for gross margins for Q3 and Q4, they're expected to be up sequentially just a little bit I, from 50% um, this quarter to 51% Q3, 52 and a change in, in Q4. So y- y- there's something built in there that they're going to have higher margin products. And, 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 and again, I think maybe that's what they're telling us, but we're also saying like engagement. Engagement doesn't exactly mean orders and it doesn't, you know, so I don't know. It's, I mean, listen, and I'd rather buy AMD right here than, than I would NVIDIA because I do think in a few weeks when NVIDIA reports, there's a lot of risk. If we don't have the level of um, you know upside that they guided to or are able to guide to for the current period, then I think there's risk to that stock. And AMD has a more reasonable valuation. And I don't think there's a whole heck of a lot built into it right now. But again, we know PCs are weak. We know uh, smartphones are weak. We know lots of parts, a lot of end markets are really weak right now. So um, there just doesn't seem to be aggressive guidance here. Um, at all. So it just seems a bit more reasonable than a- NVIDIA. Right?
1: Are you still short NVIDIA or no?
7: No, I actually have a, a, a bearish position in the SMH and it's largely around this NVIDIA. I just think there's a lot of good news in there. and I think there's much more risk of the downside near term, just given that guidance. Yeah.
3: Karen? Well, I agree with everything you've been saying. It's certainly not a this year story and next year story, right? If you think about how they view the total addressable market, how gigantic it is, and the Kager for the next few years heading, you know, Probably 25, 6, 7 would be much bigger years. If, you know, you got to buy the pixie dust story. If you do that, you can get to this being not so demanding on an earnings multiple a couple of years out. Now, normally, I don't like to wait. at a, I don't like to wait at this bus stop at 41 or, you know, whatever <laughs> time's earnings where it is right now. But I'm going to. Uh, so I have some AMD. I'm not going to really trade. I'm not going to trade around it and I have some Nvidia as well. It'd be interested to hear what happened. What they say on the call because we all know it's not all right. about what they reported it's about what they think is coming
1: and also what is their timing of their newest chip the right. mi 300x right. Right, right which is geared toward large language model training um that'll be key to this they story.
6: say 4q you know we don't yeah. know but i, I think that that's really where this is this is where people can do whatever they want to their models mm-hmm. uh, and after the, the the blowout that nvidia gave and the confidence of the guide uh, this is this is where AMD also gets a benefit. I also just think that the, the, the bottoming of the PC business is something that cyclically, uh, you know, look, look what it did for, for Intel on some level. And look what also data center does.
1: All right. Let's move on to Starbucks here. The company beating earnings estimates, but missing on revenues. The call is now underway. Kate Rogers has got the breakdown for us. Kate.
8: Hey, Melissa, as you said, earnings call just getting underway. A mixed third quarter here for Starbucks. Slight revenue miss, but a five-cent beat on adjusted EPS. Comps were also slightly lower than expected across the board, up 10% globally, 24% internationally, up 7% in the U.S. That's a miss versus the up 8.4% estimated by analysts. In the U.S., the company said it saw a 6% increase in average ticket, 1% increase in average transaction. Moving on to China, that is a key market for Starbucks. Same-store sales up 46% 46% year-on-year, driven by a 48% increase in transactions, a 1% decrease in average ticket there. Last year, remember, COVID lockdowns were a huge drag on China same store sales. So you're seeing a rebound there, even as analysts have warned that the China recovery could take a bit longer than expected. Uh, Starbucks also reporting it now has 31 million Starbucks rewards members. That is up 15% year-on-year. Year. The stock is slightly lower by 1%. It's only up around 1.5%, Melissa, year-to-date, one of the weaker performers in the restaurant sector. We'll bring you any updates we get. We're looking out to hear if they make any changes to guidance on the call, because that's something uh, that they reaffirmed the last quarter. And if you remember, the stock fell a bit after that news. Back over to right. you. Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers. Tim, you own this one.
6: I do, and and I'm waiting on more of it lower. And I've been trading this one around for the last six months. And and after that Q1 number, it's the same thing we saw. It's a lot of the same thing. And and I don't think that their customer base can really withstand the higher price levels over and over again. Operating margins are excellent. Uh, labor costs are certainly something they have to consider. These are record revenues. Okay? So they miss slightly. But again, record revenues for a company. It's nice to see international increasing. But North America is still bread and butter. And those comps at 7% weren't extraordinary. I don't think they're going to get an environment where they can raise prices like they've had. And, and, and I love the company, but I, I'm going to get it lower.
1: Year on year, China was in full lockdown, wasn't it? So the transactions increased 40-something percent, almost 50% year-on-year. And the average transaction price went down, down a percent. I thought that was sort of weird, considering the country was pretty it's much... Gotta a a noisy, that, it's got to be noisy. That's noisy data. Yeah. Uh,
6: I mean, I think, especially when you consider how, how much those transactions pressure, were up.
1: Yeah.
5: North America is still the bread and butter. Mm-hmm. So 7% comp street was 8.4%. So that's pretty significant miss. We talked about it last night, where maybe valuations started to be a concern. And technically, where do you want to get back into stock? And I think we decided at least, we talked about 92 being the level. That was the high, I think, August of last year. We sold off from there. So past resistance should become support. And I don't think 92 is unreasonable given this quarter.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is sort of the quandary that investors have with a lot of even consumer staples, like, a yeah. uh, you know, Procter & Gamble, for instance. They are uh, losing some volume, but they have the price hikes still. They have that pricing power at this moment, mm-hmm. but who knows what they have next quarter.
3: Right. I think, you know, it was telling what uh, Chipotle said about, um, you know, fear that the customer will start paying student loans mm-hmm. again and price hikes. And maybe they've hiked prices Too as much. much as they yeah. can or that it's really starting to make a dent. So this is similar to that. Tim, I think, has been a good job sort of, you know, selling upside calls and. Waiting for it's it's a it's a great company. It deserves a premium multiple. This big, probably not. Well, it's funny. I mean,
7: look at the out year, right? So next year, um, you know, 12% expected earnings growth and sales growth, and it's trading at a peg, a P/E to growth of, of, you know, of two. It's, it's a 24 and a half multiple or something like that. I mean, when's the last time this stock has traded that cheap? And it's funny that we're sitting here in what feels like a raging bull market. It's not confirmed that it's here to stay or not. And it's funny because we talked about it last night. Nike, Starbucks. There's a few other names like this. Consumer discretionary just okay. sitting. It out, and I don't get it because I can look around the, you know, the market, and I see plenty of stocks that trade at ridiculous valuations based on really silly assumptions. And companies like Nike and Starbucks have demonstrated to us, as long as we've been doing the show, or as long as we've been in the business, that they execute decently in difficult environments. So I don't know why they're sitting out. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, and this is, doesn't seem like an outrageous valuation right here.
6: They're sitting out because they went from 70 bucks to 115 bucks from from March through you know kind of march um and and I I think that's a lot to do with it. I also think both Nike and Starbucks are illustrative of of really where the pent-up demand was. What are the places what are the brands that are the most iconic brands that people are reaching for coming out of covid? People are taking in as much as they can. Obviously different product groups but um, I, I think that's what you get to. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to own Nike and Starbucks lower. I think I'm going to. And, and I don't think there's anything that, that uh, should worry you as an investor here. But this is not going to get away from you on the upside. That's the confidence I have.
1: All right. Coming up, another pair of post-Bell earnings as if they were breaking down the numbers from social media to the slot machines. Plus, anticipating tomorrow's Treasury sale today, the impact T-bill and bond issuance could have on inflation. Fast Money will be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Pinterest. Shares dipping despite top and bottom line beats. The conference call is underway. Julia Borson has been listening in. Julia, what's the latest? Melissa,
9: well, so that stock bouncing around. First, shares were lower, then they were higher. Now, shares are down just fractionally after a Pinterest beat across the board with a meaningful beat when it came to earnings. But worldwide, monthly active users are pretty much in line with expectations, just about a million and a half ahead of the number analysts were looking for. Guidance for the third quarter revenue growth also pretty much in line. Guidance of high single digits, that's pretty much in line with the nearly 8% growth that analysts had anticipated. Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy saying that after reducing expenses in the first quarter, that in the second quarter they identified further cost efficiencies leading to operating expenses that were lower than what they'd guided to. Reddy also stressing on the call the long-term potential of the partnership that they made with Amazon, saying that they have many strong synergies and that they're p- pleased with the pace of implementation so far. Reddy also noted that the broader advertising market is seeing what he called some signs of stabilization and recovery, though he did note that there's still a lot of choppiness. The company's CFO said that it continues to gain good traction with advertisers in verticals such as travel, autos and financial services. Those are relatively new areas for them. Both uh, Reddy and the company's CFO also stressing the company's focus on operational efficiency throughout the call. Melissa.
1: Operational efficiency is great, Julia, but it's it's tapping into that, you know, highly um, focused user of of Pinterest who probably has a desire and intent to buy to actually buy. And so when when Reddy says that he's happy with the pace of implementation that, that almost means nothing to me. I mean, but what does what, that mean? What
9: he's saying is that the majority of people who come to Pinterest are looking to buy something. And he was mm-hmm. throwing out the stats. I think he said half of the people who come to, to the platform want to buy something. And so what they're doing with this Amazon partnership and also the ability for brands, whatever the brand is, to share a shoppable pin is closing that loop, saying you're coming here to want to buy something. We're going to make it so easy for you to actually buy something that it's a more efficient platform advertisers and they say that this is this is a long process but they're seeing a lot of uptick both from the brands who have to put the shoppable pins out there but also from consumers who are saving more of these pins that they could then click through mm. to buy so they're saying that they're seeing progress I I have to think that one of the reasons why the stock first moved lower and then you know it's sort of been bouncing around the flat line is the fact that the user growth um, was pretty much in line with expectations I think there was some hope especially after meta's blowout quarter that Pinterest would also have have a blowout quarter, and I think this was a beat, but not a blowout.
1: Right, Julia. Thanks, Julia Borston I will go to the man who uh, has a Pinterest. Yes, I do.
5: That would be, on this desk. That's me. That's you. Okay. This is why I think the soccer You're is. You're proud low. of that. Extraordinarily proud of. I wasn't
1: of it. asking. I was just saying you are Was It, it you, wasn't a statement, that was like a question. This, have you this, engaged this with your video, page? by the way, was um, created like ten years ago, but the page hasn't changed. <laughs> so, so don't worry about the page changing. It's I. the same. It's the same <laughs>
5: So I mean oddly <laughs> anyway, enough, yeah. it's the third quarter it's third quarter revenue guidance. So they said basically high single digit. <laughs> That's you <laughs> Against the street, was looking for like 9.6. So people are saying, you know what, that third quarter guide is not good enough to offset what was a pretty good quarter. Margins were actually very good. And our poos, Tim, yes, were actually beat as well. So I think the stock actually, if they're sandbagging, which they
7: may be, I think the stock should be higher than this. It's funny. All right, so when you think about digital ad spend and the opportunities with e-commerce, I mean, they're doing $3 billion in revenue. You know, it's got an 80% gross margin, it's growing at, you know, maybe double digits, that sort of thing. And so I guess unless you can really ramp users and really find new levers there, this is just one of those really small players. The same way we I feel like every other quarter we're talking about Snap down 20% or Pinterest down 20%. You know, this the fact that it's unchanged right now, I mean, I don't think there's anything in there. I think that you took some of the kind of animal spirit guy Out of this name on that last print when it plunged down 20% or so, and now we found a bit of an equilibrium.
1: Closing well, yeah. the loop, though, seems like it would be a really powerful thing if you had like a power user Pinterest who is like a very popular celebrity or like a guy. Yeah, I, I mean, what do you yeah. mean? Do you were yeah. like struggling to find somebody. Right, right, and you see. Um, trading up on that? Okay. A Tory Burch <laughs> coat and a, a bottle of Hawaiian Tropic, <laughs> tropic <laughs> suntan oil, and All you right. want to go buy it, and you can actually, and you get a piece of it. Sweet. Sure right? Do. Yeah. And the company gets a sale.
3: Or you could buy Meta, which is right. 40 ta- 50 I don't know, 45 times the size, trades at a lower multiple. Trades at 140
6: yeah. the multiple.
1: So uh, that's where uh, I am, there and uh, uh, Google. All right, let's get to another earnings alert. This one on Caesars Entertainment. The casino stock extending session losses despite topping revenue estimates in Q2. The company's CEO affirming that demand remains strong in Las Vegas and regional markets. Let's get to Contessa Brewer with the very latest. Contessa. Yeah,
4: Melissa, CEO Tom Reek on the call right now. And first off, he addressed the Vegas results down in the second quarter year on year. He blamed a tough comp against an all-time record-setting quarter last year. And bad luck for the house in Baccarat caesar says that bookings for the second half of the year though are on pace to deliver a record annual ebitda again that's the most important profitability metric in gaming in this particular business segment in the vegas strip and Reg says he thinks that caesar's will get a five percent lift from f1 just on rooms and food and beverage in november that's not counting what gets played on the table games even further out super bowl in las vegas in february Rieg says they are seeing dramatically more reservations at higher rates. Let me spend a minute here on the digital segment, which includes sports and online sports betting and iGaming. That's casino games that are played online. Caesars, for the first time, just turned a quarterly profit in that segment and on the call, talked about rolling out this new Caesars Palace app for iGaming. It's only legal in six states right now, but a lot of optimism. And he said, and he's like really pushing back against the analysts here, hey, you guys tell me I can't hit these targets. His target, he said, is half a billion dollars in EBITDA by 2025. And he says, He's hitting all of the metrics, so he reiterated that guidance. We saw a little bit of stock movement when he said that here in the minute-by-minute trade.
1: Contessa, thank you. Mm -hmm. Contessa Brewer. Guy, what do you make of this quarter?
5: I think it's fine. I mean, they beat on all the metrics. I'm not really sure why it's necessarily lower. I mean, a lot of these casinos have had runs, so I think the knee-jerk was higher. I think people are looking and saying... You know, maybe maybe some of the comps weren't up to snuff. I'm just going through it now. But I think this stock should be higher. I think Wynn should be higher. And I think uh, 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 Las Vegas Sands should be higher as well in the back of this. I
6: think you stay in the casinos. And I think it's a combination of the in this case. So with Wynn, you look at their core business and different than Las Vegas Sands. But uh, the Las Vegas convention calendar looks really robust. You look at what's going on in digital. The fact that the losses are subsiding and that there's profitability, you know, how much profitability in the near term, I don't know. But the lack of losses, I I, I think the trends right now, especially given where the consumer for the casinos which still trade at a discount to where they were in 2019 on EBITDA multiples. I, I think you stay in this one. And I see I see buys probably 80% of the analysts on the street.
1: All right. Um, we should note that we don't want to miss the CEOs of both Pinterest and Caesars on CNBC this evening. Jim Cramer will host Spill Ready for a CEO exclusive on Mad Money at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And Tom Reek will join Brian Sullivan, Actually, I think it's yeah. Brian Sullivan tonight on Last Call at 7. Coming up on Fast, looking for nuclear gains when options traders betting this stock will power up your portfolio. The name in the trade next and later, Caterpillar climbing higher today. And yes, our chart master nailed this one. He is here for a victory lap and to tell us where the name is going next. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Uh, We want to bring you this breaking news. Fitch has downgraded the U.S. credit rating to a double-A from a triple-A. They note the difference in governance between double-A rated countries versus triple-A rated countries. Also, uh, the continuous or the the many, many political showdowns surrounding the debt limit. We knew uh, when the debt limit showdown was going on that Fitch was considering this downgrade, even if the debt limit was not breached. And so here we are with a downgrade of the US credit rating to a double A plus from a triple A. What sort of impacts are we looking for, maybe in the bond market, Tim, or elsewhere?
6: Well, remember, we go all the way back to the the downgrade that we had back in August of 2011, I think, going Mm -hmm. into that. And, and, And really, ultimately, what happened is there was mass buying of US treasuries, and the dollar rallied. Now, some of that was a function, really, of a cascade of what was going on in the US remains flight to quality. Um, we're going to talk about what's going on with debt issuance. We're going to talk about a, mm-hmm. a deficit that's being funded. And essentially, we are monetizing a lot of debt in this country. Um, some, At some point, um, debt to GDP ratios and multiples matter. The, the political uh, circus in Washington is something that, yeah, I, I get that. But that's not the reason. And frankly, politics have always been there. I think we just happen to know more about our politics than ever, even though we want to know less.
1: Yeah, there's also a line here. Fitch uh, says the U.S. has had limited progress in tackling medium-term challenges uh, related to Social Security benefits and, and other benefits here.
5: It's going to be interesting to see. Now, the gold market should rally on the back of something like this, theoretically. Gold had a rough day today. I think part of the reason 10-year yields went back above 4%. But if you're a gold bull, these are the types of things, these are the types of stories that could be a catalyst.
1: Yeah. Um, we will also uh, watch some of the AAA-rated previously AAA-rated companies, because within the Fitch universe, those AAA-rated companies usually default to the highest rating of that country, which would be now AA+. Even like an Apple one,
3: that's interesting.
1: um, So we'll have to watch that. I'm not sure if that's... The specific mechanics for Fitch, but that does exist at the other credit rating agencies. So we'll, we'll watch that. Meantime, Cameco shares uh, dropping ahead of tomorrow's morning tomorrow morning's earnings report. But the uranium stock has been on a tear this year, up more than fifty percent. One options trader is betting tomorrow's print could power even more gains. Mike Co joins us here with the action, Mike.
5: Yeah. So uh, we saw about one and a half times the average daily call volume calls outpacing puts by about five to one. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about five point two percent by the end of the week. And at least one trader is betting that that move is going to be to the upside. The busiest contract where the 36 calls that expire at the end of this week, 17,000 of them traded overall. But that included a purchase of 10,000. Buyer paid 34 cents. And coincidentally, the break even for that trade is up five point two percent.
1: Thanks, Mike. Uh, Tim, you're actually in uranium.
6: I'm, lo- I'm long uranium. Uranium also likes the kind of news we just got out of Fitch. Hmm. And, and if you think about just some of the structural issues in our country, um, you know, nuclear energy solves a lot of them. Um, if you look at the execution at CCJ. I mean, that's part of the story. That's why the stock's at all time highs. That's why the stock's finally breaking out, despite the fact that the backdrop for uranium. We also this week had uh, one of the first newly constructed nuclear reactors deployed in the U.S. actually come into uh, commercial operation for the first time in, I don't know, 30 years. Uh, we were listening to remember that No Nukes album guy, uh, um, Jackson Brown, Jackson Brown, sort Bruce Springsteen. You know, I mean, great music, but I'm not sure that was what we're supposed to be doing.
1: All right. Uh, for more options action, uh, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, race for impact. A sea of Treasury bonds about to hit the markets. Our next guest says it may have the power to kill. Inflation we will also ask him about this pitch downgrade of the U.S. credit rating to a double A plus from a triple A. Also, Caterpillar. Are we watching a metamorphosis here? The stock surging to new highs in the back of earnings this morning. But can it keep it up? The chart master will lay that out into
10: missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks muddling along for a second straight day. The Dow again eking out a gain at 16th update in the last 17 sessions. The S&P and Nasdaq both down slightly. A couple stocks taking big legs down after their earnings this morning. Molson Coors dropping after revenues came in below estimates. The company did, however, raise full year guidance. And Norwegian Cruise Lines posting its worst day since September after giving weak profit forecast for Q3. Meantime, after hours, Electronic Arts dropping as revenue guidance came in mostly below expectations. And Devon Energy also the company missing estimates on revenue. On the upside, shares of both Elf Beauty and Match Group jumping after their reports. Um, Tim, you're flagging Norwegian. I mean, this is sort of a a Real change compared to what we are hearing from the other cruise lines.
6: It, it is. And remember, not all balance sheets are created the same. Um, if you actually look at Norwegian, their balance sheet is better. Uh, but if you look at where we were seeing pricing and bookings for a couple of the American cruise lines, they were extraordinary numbers. We, we didn't get those same kind of numbers. Remember, the entire sector, though, has had a monster move, including Norwegian. Yeah. And I think it's tough to keep that bar so high. And valuations at some point, Dan brought this up, I think, that night. In other words, if you look at where their sales were relative to pre COVID, and you look at where they are now, um, it's hard to be doing cartwheels based upon the multiple they're trading at.
1: Yep. Meantime, the U.S. Treasury Department is planning to borrow more than a trillion dollars in the next fiscal quarter. That's almost a $300 billion increase than previously announced. This comes as the Treasury attempts to restock its cash pile and keep, keep up with the ballooning deficit. So what kind of impact could the sea of new issuances have on rates across the yield curve? Let's bring in Damp Spring advisor CEO Andy Constant. Andy, great to see you again. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hey, Melissa. Thanks for having me. First, I want to ask
1: just what your take is on the on the Fitch downgrade of the U.S. credit rating to a double A plus from a triple A. I mean, I understand that this is not the first downgrade that the U.S. has had um, and it gave up its triple A rating at the other ratings agencies. But uh, will this have any impact?
0: Yeah, practically not really. Mm -hmm. Uh, No one's going to stop buying the U.S. debt. Uh, the U.S. will be able to honor its payments because it has no foreign currency debt, so it prints the money it needs. So it shouldn't have any practical issues. But of course, it's you know not something you want to hear. And it also talks about the longer-term issues about you know what the buying pres- um, power of the dollars you receive in the future when you buy bonds is going to look like.
1: All right, let's get to uh, the Treasury issuance. We got the amount which was greater than expected. And I guess the devil's in the details, Andy, because that's what we're going to get tomorrow. What are you expecting here?
0: Yeah. So tomorrow, uh, the very large uh, issuance that was announced yesterday is going to be, the composition of that issuance is going to be described. And for the last nine months, the uh, Treasury has been undersupplying the market with Uh, there's been a declining amount and small amount of Treasury bonds. And and in this quarter, most recent quarter, there's been a huge issuance of Treasury bills to fund the government. And so that composition matters for long-term interest rates. When the market's undersupplied, you can have what you've been having, which is a suppressed long-term interest rate. Um, And when it's oversupplied, interest rate, longer term interest rates can begin to rise again. And so tomorrow we'll see and the the streets around 250 billion for Q4 of the 852 billion that is scheduled to be issued. I think it's going to be quite a bit higher
1: than that. Andy, sorry to interrupt. We've got breaking news out of Washington, D.C. Special Counsel Jack Smith announcing another indictment of former President Donald Trump. Eamon Javers joins us with the latest now. Eamon.
11: Melissa, that's right. We've just gotten the document here uh, from a federal grand jury. This is an indictment of former President Donald Trump on four counts now. Uh, The counts are conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, uh, obstruction of and attempts to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. Uh, What the indictment says here in its first paragraph uh, is the defendant Donald J. Trump was the 45th president of the United States as a candidate for reelection in 2020. defendant lost the 2020 presidential election despite having lost the defendant was determined to remain in power. So for more than two months following election day on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. Those claims were false, and the defendant knew they were false. This is what they call a speaking indictment, Melissa. That is, it's 45 pages of text here. We're going to go through it carefully uh, and bring you all the details from it. But uh, that makes it clear that what the special counsel's office is doing here is laying out their case against the former president of the United States in quite some detail. Uh, What they've done here is indict him On, as I say, the four counts, uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. So uh, I'll go through this carefully and bring you more detail from it. But for now, uh, the moment of history is here uh, for Donald J. Trump. He's now been indicted uh, in relation to his attempts to obstruct the transfer of power uh, in 2021. Melissa, back over to you.
1: Eamon, thank you Eamon Jabbers uh, let's get back to Andy constant Andy sorry to interrupt you um we had to get to that news but you were just saying what the what Wall Street had been pricing in in terms of what we're expecting tomorrow
0: yeah sure so uh again around 250 billion out of the 852 billion is about what's expected it could be it could be lower depending on on what the Treasury decides they could issue continue to issue a ton of bills or they could start Returning to more normal issuance, where about 80 percent of the issuance is in coupon bonds, and that'll have a major impact if they shift to the to the high amount of bonds. That'll have a major impact on financial assets. It'll. Uh, cause the curve to bear steepen, meaning the long term interest rates will go up and that'll hurt multiples on equities. So it's a very important number to watch tomorrow. And if we're above 300 billion, I think the market is going to really struggle, both the long term bond market and the equity market, uh, to absorb that supply over the next four months.
3: So, Andy, it's Karen. Let me ask you about the how they decide this sort of cadence of what they want to issue. I sort of don't get it with bills being so much more expensive than bonds. Um, that would make me think, well, why don't they do all bonds? What, do, they, do they have any guidelines that they have to meet? And could, they, could the market absorb all bonds?
0: Yeah, so they definitely have guidelines. They have, for the long term, have had a historical range of total amount of bills outstanding relative to total federal debt of between 15 and 20%. And if they were to issue all bills in the coming quarters, they would be well into the mid-20s, like 22 23%. So there's nothing preventing them from doing that. As you rightly said, the cost is prohibitive because it's higher than the long-term bond cost is right now. Um, but nothing preventing them by rule. It's just by habit and um, sort of their their way, their mission. And at the same time, absorbing a trillion dollars of ten-year notes or thirty-year notes or spread across the whole yield curve would have a much much bigger impact than a trillion dollars of bills, which we've basically seen over the last four four months tremendous bills issues and. Asset prices, stocks in particular, are up during that time. So the market can absorb bills very, very easily, as bonds it struggles with. And so the objective for the Treasury is to try to, you know, uh, thread that needle to not massively impacting the uh, the long-term interest rates, not flooding the market, but, you know, taking advantage of better financing options right now and moving toward bonds.
1: Andy, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much. We appreciate your time.
5: Thank Andy you. Andy Constant
1: of Damped Spring. Uh, guy, you've been watching this.
5: I think it's important. Yeah. I, I, the market hasn't cared, but 10-year yields in this country have gone from a 340-ish to, I think this is highest we've seen since October of last year when they topped out around four and a quarter. I do think it's a big deal. and that- Resteepening of the yield curve, which theoretically should be a good thing. Actually, that's when equity markets start to take it on the chin, and that's yeah. what might be in the midst of now. So I think he brings up a great point. We'll see if the bond market can take it. But yields are telling you right now you're going to have to get a higher yield in order to get these bonds through.
1: All right. And by the way, you won't want to miss Leslie Picker's exclusive interview with JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. That is tomorrow, 2 p.m. He'll be live from his Northwest Bus Tour in Bozeman, Montana. That's only on CNBC. Coming up, inching to new highs, Caterpillar plowing through second quarter earnings estimates and the chart master is here to take us through the stock's next move. And later, check up on pharma stocks. We're diving into results from Pfizer and Merck reported this morning. Much more Fast Money right after this.
7: Our sales were up 22 uh, percent. We uh, all three of our primary segments were up between 19 and 27 percent on the top line. Uh, Five fifty-five and adjusted operating profit per share. First time we've ever broken five dollars. Are showing up in the bottom line.
1: That was Caterpillar CEO Jim Umpleby earlier today on Squawk on the Street, the industrial giant climbing to an all-time high in the back of a better-than-expected second-quarter print. The company sees strong demand for construction products raised its full-year outlook for operating margin. And just this past Friday, in Options Action, the chartmaster called for the stock to break out to a new high. Let's get more on Cat's path ahead with Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what do you see now?
10: Well, certainly a big day for Cat and also Grasso. Salute to you. It was his final call on Friday. A fast money cap for the breakout. So we have the breakout. And here's the question. um, What to do? It's always uh, a very nuanced thing. Managing a winner. Managing a loser in principle is easy. Get rid of it. So here is the breakout. You see it on the screen. Let's look at this same chart going back a bit further. That is essentially uh, the same circumstance. We have well-defined tops at a common level. And we have a breakout. Let's look at it going back even further. And just to put this move in perspective. And what you'll see here, again, is this definitive news-related, of course, funny related breakout to a new high. Um, one final chart, and this is the issue, um, the stock is also to the penny up against its internal trend line, in effect, essentially, going back to the mid-2000s. My thinking is, if you want to have your cake and eat it, too, you stay mm. long and sell calls or take yeah. some measures, um, because it's a big day-to-day. And while there might be a bit of follow through, a lot was priced in.
1: Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Nice call on Cat last Friday. Um, what measures would you take, Guy, especially when there is infrastructure spending here in the United States? There could be more infrastructure spending in places like China where stimulus could be on its way. Right.
5: Makes sense without question. Tim's talked about the resource trade. Caterpillar specifically traded 11 and a half million shares. So almost five times normal volume. The play, I think, is to look for a pullback to the previous high, which was about somewhere between 248 and 250-ish. That makes sense. You've seen similar moves before. So I think it exhausted itself in the short term. Look for a pullback to the prior all-time high.
3: URI was also up, uh, I guess, on Cat News. It was down like 12 or $13 on their conference call the other day, which seems sort of stupid. And then that turned around yesterday for, I don't know, I don't know why people were so worked up over it. And it ended up being, and one one other thing I want to add, they have their conference call at 11 a.m. To me, that shows we don't care where the stock is trading. We're not trying to get all our information out before it opens. We're looking to build a long-term value, and that's what they're doing.
6: All, all of this tells me what's going on in the market. I mean, industrials are ripping. And if you look at their outperformance to the S&P, industrials are. It's about that broad. And you've got Johnson Controls tomorrow. They're going to talk about uh, where I think commercial HVAC and some of these things. We've got numbers from Carrier and Train. I think those numbers are going to be better. The Caterpillar key is they're doing it without China, and they're doing it with improved margins uh, in a difficult environment.
1: All right. Coming up, a pair of pharma stocks under the weather today. We'll debate what the cure might be when fast money rolls on. Welcome back to Fast Money. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen responding to Fitch's downgrade of the U.S.'s credit rating saying, quote, I strongly disagree with Fitch's decision. The change announced today is arbitrary and based on outdated data, Fitch's quantitative ratings model declined markedly between 2018 and 2020. And yet Fitch is announcing its change now, despite the progress that we see in many of the indicators that Fitch relies on for its decision. Many of these measures, including those related to governance, have shown improvement over the course of this administration with the passage of bipartisan legislation to address the debt limit, invest in infrastructure, and make other investments in America's competitiveness. Again, this is the statement from Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, on the heels of that downgrade. Um, Karen, you brought up an interesting point in terms of how this could help Jerome Powell. Yes,
3: yes. You know, when he every time he goes on the street, they're always sort of yelling at him over this and that. And he keeps trying to say, well, OK, it's not just monetary policy. Look at fiscal policy. And I think Janet Yellen doesn't seem to directly address what they said, which is entitlements. Right. No progress. No progress on that. Um, yes, they did you know, raise the debt ceiling, but um, that still doesn't solve this issue, which yeah. is uh, which is up to Congress, not Jay Powell.
6: But I find it interesting that this is really about the word governance has been used. And as a guy who's been investing in emerging markets his whole career, I mean, the the concept of a downgrade based upon dysfunction on the government level is something I get for Brazil. Um, I don't get it for the U.S. Again, we've we've laughed at what the circus has been in D.C. for a long time, but Um, I think that's really interesting because it's the credit metrics that are the ones that have been more stretched and the ones that also then you get into the fiscal policy on top of monetary policy are part of the problem.
1: So do you think that that means that Fitch's downgrade is less, uh, I don't know, not trustworthy, you know, it should should is deserving of criticism because governance is not the same as it is in Brazil, but we are a developed market. We should be the most politically it's civilized to though, one in the world. It's, it's, it,
6: it is arbitrary. It's someone doing this based upon a view that's not tied to specific metrics. You've got credit metrics. It's kind of like, you know, a credit score. Um, right. We're not going to do that again tonight. But, I mean, um, no, you have a case here where I, I think when they start talking about governance issues, it, me, it makes it much more amorphic and, and harder to really to quantify Right, qualify.
1: That's true. But they're basically saying that every single time we, we come up against a debt limit, there's a political showdown. And doesn't that show that there is some level of dysfunction in the United States politically? Tim
5: said at the beginning of the show, I yeah. think. 140 percent, probably 150 percent debt to GDP in this country. That's an atrocity. I mean, no developed country in the history of mankind since the Roman Empire has been able to sort of recover from numbers like that. Yet we don't even talk about it. So good for Fitch. I mean, maybe they're late to the dance, which they are. And that Janet Yellen response, it sounds like they had that at the ready to me. That didn't just sort of come off the pen that quickly. That's just my thoughts. She's a
1: fast rider, though. I'm sure she is. (laughs) She's a lot of people over there. A lot of people. All right. Uh, Up next, final trades. get back to Eamon Javers in Washington. He's got more details on the special prosecutor indicting former president Donald Trump Trump on 2020 election interference. Eamon.
11: Well, Melissa, we know that the former president has now been summoned to appear at a federal courthouse here in Washington, D.C. on August 3rd at 4 p.m. That's this coming Thursday. So this is a pretty quick turnaround here in terms of the process of this indictment that we're now seeing unfold. It's a four-count indictment uh, just dropped within the past hour. And in it, the government is alleging a massive conspiracy from the Trump uh, campaign to hold on to power and the former president himself. They're citing three separate conspiracies here happening sort of simultaneously. One was a conspiracy to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the lawful federal government function uh, in terms of collecting election results. Also a conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th congressional proceeding itself. Uh, And then a conspiracy against the right to vote and to have one's vote counted in general. So uh, three separate conspiracies there being alleged uh, in this indictment. There's also some uh, interesting material here in terms of former Vice President Mike Pence. You know, we we do know that he went in and testified before the grand jury. What we haven't known until now is what Mike Pence told that grand jury. We're getting some hint of it in the text of this indictment, uh, one of which centers around this idea that Trump allegedly knew that the claims he was making about election fraud were false. Uh, the indictment says that the defendant's vice president, that is Pence, who personally stood to gain by remaining in office as part of the defendant's and whom the defendant asked to study fraud allegations, told the defendant that he had seen no evidence of outcome determinative fraud. And even more detail here, on January 1st, uh, Trump calls the vice president, according to this indictment, and berates him because he learned that the vice president had opposed a lawsuit uh, that Trump wanted to move forward with. And in that statement, uh, in that comment, the president says to the uh, vice president, quote, you're too honest." So there's an indication here from the text that what they're trying to do is suggest that Trump knew that he was lying here. We also now have a statement from the Trump campaign. They're saying, this is nothing more than the latest corrupt chapter in the continued pathetic attempt by the Biden crime family and their weaponized Department of Justice to interfere with the 2024 presidential election in which President Trump is the undisputed frontrunner. So, Melissa, we will see the president now on August 3rd uh, here in Washington, D.C. at 4 p.m. And you can imagine uh, that will be uh, quite a spectacle here in
6: Washington coming up later this week, Melissa.
1: Yep. Eamon, thank you, Eamon Jabbers. Eamon. Let's do a quick uh, final trade here. Tim?
6: CCJ. Again, uranium goes higher. I think CCJ goes higher.
1: Karen? Uh, short
3: TLT just in front of this bond issuance. Dan?
6: I'm
7: long TLT. It hasn't been <laughs> great, but I'm going I'm to add a little bit. Guy. Okay. GDXJ, junior miners.
1: All right. Thanks for watching. Fast Mad Money starts right now. warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.
0: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV
3: yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.